This is Agents Influence Podcast. I will say, like, I love technology. I'm a business person. For me, it's like, let's test out where your audience is. Let's figure out how we can move some needles. And that's where I try to give that kind of advice. Also, from a virtual perspective, this is where I grew my business. It's where I've grown multiple businesses on helping them embrace over 3,000 live videos. And so what's kind of cool in that, all of that is, like, I get to help them adapt to change, but also kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work. And I really enjoy the workshop side, um, probably more so than I do. Even the speaking side, part of the reason I love what I do is I, most of the things I do are data-backed, goal-driven. I can measure direct success. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 all you loyal listeners out there. Welcome once again to Agents Influence Podcast Conversation with Jason Cass. Obviously, that's me. Uh, Today, I have um, a very unique character, somebody that I follow. A lot of you out there in the insurance world, some of you may know him, uh, some of you don't. Um, But the fact is, is I've been following him. I've been watching him for a while. He's got a different spunk. He's got a different flair. I know a bunch of marketing gurus out there, and and they all pretty much say the same thing, maybe a little bit different than Gary Vee, but they all say the same thing. Brian uh, brings a different um, a, a different message, a different angle. Um, right now, Ryan is really big on helping virtual events become successful, doing some really good stuff, and I want to talk about that. Um, but sometimes, as you know, loyal listeners, we're not always talking about marketing and sales. I think agency operations is important. I think branding is important. I think all that is important. But when we're talking about marketing and positioning that brand and reaching people and what different tools to use, I think it's sometimes really good to bring people outside the insurance industry. So that is today why I have brought on Brian and I'll introduce him in a minute. But I want to remind all you loyal listeners, uh, this podcast is sponsored by ePay Policy. Um, and and we couldn't do what we do without them. They are fantastic. If you don't know who ePay Policy is, then you need to find out because there are clients in your office every day who need to make a, a payment with their credit card and they can't. And the reason they can't is because it charges the 3% fee and that means you lose 3% of your commission. But with ePay Policy, they can use the credit card and ePay Policy charges the client that. I'm telling you right now, we've used it for two years and it is fantastic. So be sure to check out ePay Policy. In the meantime, let's get on with this because this is all about Brian. Uh, am I correct when I say Brian Fanzo? Is that it? You got it. You got it. Yeah, simple and easy. We try not to make this complicated <laughs> in the world, do you, Brian? That's for sure. Although I answer to everything. I, I've, I've never been one uh, to connect, you know, correct people. Although lately I, I've been getting some uh, internet spellings of brain fanzo, and I definitely won't correct that. That's that's one I will ride with uh, no problem. Yeah, I hear you there. That's a uh, brain fanzo. I can see how that is. I guess if you're like me and you're a bad speller, you, it's brain. But I'm anyway. not a great speller either. But I and I'm always proud that I, my Brian is spelled with an I. But then someone brought it up to my fa- to the point where like, well, we'll never be misspelled as brain if we you know b r y a n. And I was like, oh, okay, touche, well played. <laughs> 
That is, that is, man. Brian, hey, dude, I'm excited to have you on here. I think you you do. You have a different vibe. Um, I'm a big family guy. I think a lot of people are. You're a big family guy. I love how you bring that stuff in. You're always using cool techniques, always way to catch a good way to catch people's eye. I mean, I think a lot of people do that. But I actually have watched three or four of your YouTube videos. And for my loyal listeners who listen to this, they know I don't listen to podcasts and I don't watch all these videos and stuff like that. I know it sounds, uh, it's kind of egotistical, Brian, but sometimes I, I find as if I follow somebody, I start doing the things that they're doing, right? And it takes right. away from my creativity. Not that it's bad. I'm just saying that uh, I don't do that a lot of times, but I have watched a couple of yours. Um, and not just because I, another thing I do, I don't prepare for these shows. I want them to be just a pure, um, uh, a purely, uh, a intimate, I guess you could say, you know, a, a good, good relation or conversation. I did watch one of yours this morning though, where you were talking about, um, uh, virtual hosts and what's missing from virtual events. And I thought that was fantastic. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that before we get on with these questions. But one thing I loved is you said you held up the picture of of a heart. And you said that, you know, it's not that we're missing this, it's just that we're missing the hugs, right? And that is true, man. It's that true networking, right? That um, uh, you, you really laid out some stuff. And I want to talk about that a little bit more as well as some other things. But Brian, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this. First question. Are you an iPhone or are you a droid user? iPhone. My, my company's iSocial fans because I'm an iPhone fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We won't hold that against you. It's okay. Strike one. Uh, now, and if you, uh, would you, do you prefer to win or do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Uh, I prefer to win. Prefer to win? Any yep. strategic, any reason why that comes to your mind? I, I like that. So um, I think, it, you know, when I, when you first asked that, I think I dwell, I, you know, I was, uh, I was a sore loser growing up as a kid. I will openly admit that I was one um, that would, you know, get visibly upset. I'm a, I'm a very emotional person. I'm uh, I'm very okay with that in my 30s. Um, in my teens, I was not a very uh, comfortable in the fact that I would uh, start crying in the parking lot, losing a you know a high school baseball game or a hockey game. Uh, I was very emotional loser, and I, I think over time, uh, and I think it was partially through college. I played college hockey. Um, I, I became, I, I started to shift my focus on, uh, rather than like trying to stop myself from being an emotional loser was to relish in the times that we do win so that the losses don't hurt as much. And so when you asked that, that's kind of where I went with that in my head. Like my snap answer was like, well, I've been better at like looking at that. And I also, you know, as a Steeler, as a Pittsburgh person, I'm, I bleed Pittsburgh sports, born and raised, uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, I was spoiled with the Steelers and Super Bowl is still kind of am in that side. And even with hockey and the, and the Penguins, uh, but I'm also a Pirates fan, which is like just misery, you know, over and over and over again. So when I, when I think of, of like just the, what my dad kind of raised us on was we never really highlighted any of those, you know, the seventies and eighties when there was lots of losses. And, you know, the reason we had a really great Super Bowls in the seventies uh, was because the sixties, we couldn't win a football game. I think we won like five over five years. So I, I, I think, I, for me, it's like my 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 origin has always been. Hey, let's focus on the wins, and I think I've learned that as I, uh, you know, kind of matured. Uh, you know, especially now that I'm in my thirties, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. Uh, tell saying that you're an emotional guy. I can tell. I can tell already. You're hyped up. Uh, you and I could probably sit here and talk for an hour and a half and no one would be able to understand us because we talk so fast and get so excited. And we're probably going to switch gears back and forth, left and right. And Brian, this is the show for you because that's what we do here. And that's why we have loyal listeners. Last question. Um, uh, if there were two things in the world, just two things that got you to where you are today, skill or luck, which one would you say has been the biggest factor? 
Ooh, uh, luck. I, th- I think luck is definitely the, it, you know, and honestly, one of the biggest, uh, lucky situations in my entire life kickstarted my entire career and I happened to raise my hand faster than a rest of a help desk. I was working at a government help desk. Um, couldn't get a job at a college in computer science. So I went and worked for UPS for about uh, 18 months, making killer money, went union. Um, really, was <laughs> I could have stayed there and worked there for the rest of my life, uh, but I knew myself pretty well and knew how to get out of it. And so I took an entry-level help desk job um, you know, uh, supporting the U.S. government uh, with uh, a government contractor here in Northern Virginia. Uh, and about six months in, uh, the boss came in out of kind of nowhere on a Friday and said, um, who here wants to go to Korea? First one to raise their hand uh, gets to go. And I put my hand up first. He's like, do you have a passport? I was like, no, but I've been to the Caribbean. <laughs> and he was like, that doesn't really help. He's like, but I think we can get you a same-day passport. I got a same-day passport. Ended up flying to Korea on that Monday. I taught a four-day class. Uh, when I landed back on that Friday back in uh, Atlanta on a layover, I uh, got a message that the, the the government lead that was over there said, hey, if you keep Brian in this role, we'll we'll 4X our contract with you uh, because of how you know, excited and successful the, the class went. And uh, nine years later, I grew that team to a, a 32-person team running a you know $19 million a year budget. Uh, for cybersecurity, but I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, luck and you know, luck in the sense that I, I luckily got my hand up first. Uh, there was two others that definitely got their hand up, and luck that I was actually listening. Like one of my friends was like, "Man, I would have put my hand up first. He's like, "But I was on a call," and I was like, "Man, I, I definitely was lucky that a, I wasn't on a call, b, I heard him." So yeah, I, I'll, I'll go all in with luck there for sure. Come on, man. I just did an interview and they threw, they turned these questions around on me, um, and uh, I said luck as well. I, uh, wow, that's good. That's good. And so right there. I mean, who was the first one to throw their hands up? Who was the, who wasn't on the phone? I mean, sometimes it just works out that way. You know what I mean? It just really, truly does. That's fantastic, man. Uh, so that we can relate to you before we get into this conversation, take us back to high school and bring us forward to how you got to where you are now before you raising your hand and after you raising your hand. Yeah, sure. So, you know, um, for me, you know, I was the I grew up in uh, was born and raised in Pittsburgh, but went to high school in Virginia Beach. Uh, I was the kid that you know I played hockey, um, was a DJ at a roller skating rink. I was actually uh, managed my family frozen yogurt shop uh, from the age of fourteen, so that was our our family business. Uh, you know, frozen yogurt across from the the ocean. Frozen yogurt before frozen yogurt was cool. It's much cooler now. Um, it, it was cool because it was near the beach, but it wasn't like a cool trend um, then. And you know, I loved school, but school was not what I was good at with by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I remember my my junior year in high school, my guidance counselor asking me what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do next. And I said, college. And uh, he almost fell out of his chair laughing. And before anybody gets like, wait a second, isn't your counselor supposed to be like, you know, <laughs> you know empathetic? Um, he was my counselor from fourth grade. He actually had gone, oh. moved up with our, and so he went to my like 16th birthday party. He was at my graduation. He was at one of the first times, uh, first legal beers I ever had. He became, he was a very good friend, um, wow. but he was laughing because he's like, Brian, your GPA is, is like 1.6. Like, you're not getting into college. What are you thinking? And I was like, well, you know, I like perfect attendance and everyone loves me at school. And he's like, because that gets you into college. And I was like, and it, you know, it was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, man, I got to do something different. And, um, you know, he, he jumpstarted me. Thank goodness. Um, you know, I like to say we, we talked a little bit about luck, but, you know, my I my attitude and my personality um, allowed myself and the guidance counselor to work with some of my teachers for the rest of my junior year, my senior year, um, putting me in much more advanced classes, but ones that didn't 
um, didn't really, or ones that allowed me to tap into what I was good at versus mm-hmm. kind of forcing myself, uh, which I'll mention in a, in a minute where, where that kind of fell. Uh, you know, and then I went to uh, college. I went on, uh, you know, I got into two universities to play hockey um, on probation, right? Because of my GPA, of course, uh, West Virginia University and Radford University. Um, and my best friend uh, who played for the USA softball team, uh, she went to Radford to play softball. So I ended up going to Radford. It's a small school uh, about nine miles south of Virginia Tech. Uh, in southwestern Virginia. Um, I was lucky enough for all three years of Michael Vick's uh, career at Virginia Tech. I was at college at the same time, so I didn't miss a, a Michael Vick uh, home game for those years. Wow. Uh, became a big fan of, of Michael Vick, still him, still him to this day. Uh, but yeah, so I went to school, um, and I had you know something, a trend that I look at now that I didn't realize then um, was I was always one that you know kind of walked my own beat, you know, unapologetically myself, but also kind of have a diverse non-niche type background. And so I played college hockey, uh, was the president of my fraternity, and I was a computer science major. And I can tell you, nobody was a computer science major that played hockey. Nobody that played hockey was in a fraternity. But for me, it kind of fit who I am. I fit my personality. Uh, and right. it was also a beautiful thing because I got to bring these worlds together. So we would have you know parties at the fraternity house and bringing in the hockey team and computer science team uh, you know group. It was uh, it took a while for like people to kind of figure out that world, but. Um, it's definitely something now that I look back, it's kind of the history of my entire career and things that I do. And so, uh, you know, loved college, uh, was able to play hockey there. And then um, my, like I mentioned, I couldn't get a job. When, when got a, like the job, I didn't even tell you the luck of the job, which now is probably even more important. Um, I was working for UPS and I had mentioned to uh, my wife at the time, if I don't get into to technology soon, I'm going to stay in this job for the rest of my life. And I knew that like, Hey, I, I, I kind of had this drive to like, I want to test this out. Right. And because UPS, I mean, great company, great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And I was in the best shape of my life, you know, wearing those short Brown shorts running around like uh, a madman um, here in Northern Virginia. And I was actually in the grocery store. Um, I had taken off my UPS uh, shirt and I had my fraternity letters on. And the guy in front of me, like started asking me questions about fraternity comes to find out he had one of his best friends had graduated same fraternity, same university, but like five years before I had. And he asked me like, he was like, so um, do you know anything about cybersecurity? And I was like, well, this is where I'm supposed to answer yes, because I, I have a feeling you're like talking about a job. I was like, but no, I didn't take a class in it. He's like, have you ever heard what a vulnerability is? I was like, nope, couldn't even tell you what that is. And he's like, what about intrusion detection? I'm like, I could take a guess. He's like, well, could you get a security clearance? And I was like, I believe I could get a security clearance. Like I, I have all the things. And he's like, well, the good news is I oh feel like someone that's as honest as you would be someone that could get a clearance. And he's like, and I don't have to unteach you anything because, you know, and remember this is 2004, like way, you know, cybersecurity is just becoming even a thing. Um, he's like, he's like, come into, you know, uh, interview the, the very next day. And I ended up interviewing the very next day. Uh, and he offered me the job. I ended up getting my entry level security clearance. And then, raised my hand, went to Korea, uh, and then built that class. I ended up doing, I visited 54 countries over those nine years. um, And, you know, three trips to Iraq, two to Afghanistan, um, all with deploying cybersecurity solutions. But my focus was getting the different branches of the military to collaborate and share cybersecurity policies. So as you can imagine, like getting the Navy to share with the Army, like I, to me, any collaboration today is easy, right? Like someone's like, oh, how are you going to move into virtual? I was like, I would go in and, and like talk to the army and be like, share this cybersecurity policy, which was already, you know, secure and vulnerable and people were worried and share that with the Navy so we can all move forward. Right. It was like, that was what my, my wow. job was. Uh, and it was, you know, I loved, it. I actually, 
I loved working with the military. I had no military background. My company, uh, 99% ex-military. I was the 1% exception uh, because I was wearing fraternity letters in a, in a grocery store, right? Like that, that was my claim uh, to making that happen. But yeah, wow. I, um, nine years in, we had kind of lost a contract. We were moving things over and I got promoted into this role of they're like, hey, this is like, you know, and, and just, you know, nine years later. So this is 2012 or so. And I can tell you, like, cybersecurity is taking off, right? And I'm in, but I had um, during the kind of the, I guess, the ceremony for my uh, promotion, they, it's like, hey, you're set for life. You're going to be working for the government and cybersecurity for the rest of your life. And it like shook me in like a weird way. And I remember talking about it like two days later and I couldn't shit. And I was like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I don't, this is not wow. the, the role I wanted. And you know, I had the top highest civilian clearance you could get. Um, they had to rewrite like even the the policy for a senior VP because they had, previously they required you to have a master's degree. I didn't have a master's degree. Had no plans <laughs> of going to get it because <laughs> college was already tough on me for the the, the four years <laughs> that I went there. Um, and so like I was very blessed, but I, I I had made the decision, and this is I've done this multiple times now in my career was like if I don't jump now, I'm just gonna stay here. And I, I can tell you, I made more money then than I still do now. Mm -hmm. I had a beautiful job, beautiful you know, career. I was, things were moving, but I had this like drive, A, to chase what my dream job was and B, to really make a bigger impact on the world. That's what I kept telling myself. I was like, I love working with the military. I love working with the government, but anyone who worked in the government uh, or even regulated industries for, for that standpoint, a lot of it is spinning your wheels and going nowhere. A lot right. of it is policy management and like, and just like me and my personality and a lot of things that I have going on, um, I decided to jump ship and I chased really my my dream job which was um which also kind of comes into the apple play uh modeled after guy kawasaki and he was the um, technology evangelist for steve jobs and kind of built the cult around macintosh uh in the early 90s uh throughout the 90s and i got a job at a startup uh data center company which is almost as sexy as a cybersecurity company uh you know data center where real estate and and it was a company we were it was they were migrating companies to the cloud we were hiring 12 new hires a week it was the startup that you hear about like we had ping pong tables free lunch we turned wow. off email for a couple of months cuz we wanted people to collaborate like it was cool and wild i was there for about 2 years and 10 days that's awesome and um and they got bought um by a, a, a big brand and the brand came in and was like what in the world is a evan technology evangelist and like why do you report to the ceo where's your sales quota what are you doing like they completely they're just you know baffled by the idea uh and that was my last day and i was my first day as an entrepreneur and uh, i just hit six years now um on my on my own and uh throughout that piece early on in, um, in the government i started uh speaking at events on behalf of uh, the government on cybersecurity, also um, marketing and trying to recruit millennials. Then I went and worked for the startup as the evangelist. I got to speak at some of the biggest events in the world because we sponsored those events. Uh, gotcha. And so when I left, I, I kind of kickstarted an agency, a marketing agency, realized quickly that wasn't really for me, just my personality, also where I was at in my career. Uh, and I just decided, hey, I'm gonna try to go all in on this uh, keynote speaking thing, right? And so it was 60% of my revenue, uh, you know, in 2018, it was 80% of my revenue last year it was 90% of my revenue, you know, and this year I'm an unemployed keynote speaker, um, <laughs> uh, since, you know, March came around and decided to cancel. Makes conferences. Sense. But, uh, yeah, so now I do virtual and I kind of label myself as a digital futurist, which if you don't hear that story, the whole digital futurist thing sounds weird and kind of like phantom, right. but it's really what connects my entire, uh, journey and background. And, and one of the cool things I get to do now 
work with brands of all sizes, businesses, agencies, associations. Actually, interestingly enough, a lot of uh, insurance companies or insurance, either brands or associations, I think I have four or five uh, virtual events I'm speaking uh, in the insurance space on really just getting the, the brands to not only tell their story, but one of my big focuses, and I think it's really my mission, is for help people see the synergy between digital innovation and humanity. And so that's why the heart, the family, people, um, you know, is a big part for me. So yeah, that's that's the long story of the long story of how love I love it, here. dude. Love it. Love it. Now, now let me let's go back to that though. So your main thing then is this synergy and, and it's the connection between those. Can you give that more more detail? Yeah. So for you know, for me, I've always been a big believer that I don't believe to be um, more empathetic, to be more human. It doesn't mean we have to use less technology. We just have to understand where technology fits and use it in the right places. I think we've for the last ten years or so, especially. You know, as we became to swipe a credit card, a download an app, um, install anything. If we don't like it, we just uninstall it, right? Like, you know, for those that are young, you know, uh, in the early 2000s, like if you bought something, you had to like buy a CD, you had to change all your hardware. It was a long process. So we are a little bit more methodical and strategic with the software and the th technology and where it fit in our lives. That's why people talk about change today. They're like, oh, the rate of change is faster than it's ever been. Well, it's not really a bit faster than it's ever been. It's rate of change has been about a very fast pace. It's just now the way that we adapt, the way that we integrate um, change is at, is a, is at a much rap more rapid. Um, I like pace. that. And I so, like that. Yeah, and so for me, like when I look at this whole like concept, and like I grew up, you know, my family frozen yogurt shop. My dad uh, was a he owned a, a peanut brittle company um, that would sold uh, you know peanut brittle candy uh, worldwide. My dad was a big believer in the handshake. Big believer. And, you know, um, your word is bond, you know, the, the importance of your brand, your name and, uh, you know, treating everyone like you treat yourself. And I feel sometimes we blame social media or technology for less of that happening or because, uh, you know, it doesn't exist. Or we'll say things like, you know, kids today don't know how to write a check or, you know, everyone's stuck in their phone. And I, and I think oftentimes we, we don't have a perspective to look at it and say, okay, what is that enabling us and where can we fit it in there? So, you know, up until this year, a lot of it was helping people shift their perspective to be open to more technology. Um, you know, the good or bad of COVID um, in March was we all got forced to work from home, put a screen in front of us. It fast forwarded um, our society about three or five years. I'm easily, right. Easily. Yeah. And, yeah. It, mm -hmm. and it, you know, and as much as I love change, as much as I love all this topic, forcing people to change into a world that they're not used to is not usually a good trend for adoption, for understanding. And then do it during a pandemic when we're losing jobs and like, you know, culture's falling apart. Like you, you, you that's just like, you know, it kind of one of those things that build on it. And so for me, although it fast forward a lot of things, it does, you know, I, I do want to, a lot of what I'm doing right now is a little bit of education, a little bit of like, hey, baby steps for us to understand. And really, it's this idea. What I believe is like the screen shouldn't make our make us feel more distance from others, but it does because of the way we're using it. I, you know, I'm a big advocate. Um, you know, I, I do a lot with childhood hunger um, and a lot with uh, you know child trafficking. I, I work with a couple organizations, and you know, a big believer for me is like like suicide rates should go down. Our ability to be more connected, more dialed in. People shouldn't feel more alone in this moment, yet we do. And I think mm -hmm. it's because we have like the, we're, we're using sometimes technology for technology's sake. We're, we're being transparent in, in some ways, yet in other ways, we're, we're not being our, our truest self. And so that's where I kind of gets to us now. And 
I think for me, this is a, you know, we're in a beautiful space because we're able to test things out right now. We're all kind of figuring out what this, this new, um, you know, future looks like. Um, while at the same time, I, I, I hope we can learn and kind of adapt that, you know, that synergy between these two worlds, because, uh, I know for a lot of people, and probably a lot of your listeners as well, right. The, my dad was always like, my dad, my dad, I mean, just for context, my dad had a global company that didn't get email until 2009. Like he didn't want a computer or email. Like my dad was anti-tech and, but you know, grew a global company. One of the best salespeople I know, probably best businessman I've ever met. Sounds um, like he's in the insurance industry. <laughs> yeah. So, so I can relate to we like old and slow outdated. to change and old, but my, if I look at it now with like my dad and like we, we celebrated uh, his 67th birthday on zoom uh you know and his birthday was in april so it was like right as this was all taking off and my dad made a comment at the end because my my one brother's in dallas another one's in phoenix he was like this might be my favorite birthday and i was like wait this is coming from my dad who does not like tech anti-social media and you know part of it came down he was just like i feel so like alive and we spent like two hours on the phone we were you know people were holding up diff different photos and we were telling stories and you know like my girlfriend came in and you know it was like one of those things and so i think I think if we can open our perspective to where technology can fit today, I think we can adapt and kind of shape this this future that we have. And so that's that's probably what excites me the most right now. So what do you think as an insurance consumer, right? Because you're not in the insurance industry. So this is good for us to hear from you. What would you say, What from what you do and what you teach in your marketing and your strategy and how to use the, the technology, um, what what's the relationship like Brian with your insurance agent where where would you give us some um, some some tips so this is an interesting one because I one of the big slides that I talk about all the time is that I believe every business right now is in the business of trust building trust maintaining trust and I think the hardest part which is where I think this taps in is scaling trust right how do you scale mm. trust to mm. how do you scale your trust with clients that you've had over a long time? How do you scale it when your agency is growing? How do you scale it as the owner and all of a sudden you have more people and less touch yourself, right? And now you really right. have to kind of um, disseminate that across. And I think for me, and like, you know, and it's interesting, I, you know, about four and a half years ago, uh, going through a divorce and uh, you know, separating a lot of my world and a lot of things that were going on, also moving around here in Northern Virginia. Um, one of the things that I noticed was that. I kind of defaulted a lot to, hey, I'm just going to use the insurance and the things that I've always had, right? And keep with the client, you know. And then I started to realize there were some things that um, I started like being okay with just because I didn't want to change, right? And this is someone that loves right. change, right? And I think, you know, as as you look, especially a younger generation, I work with a lot in this you know, cross-generational communication, the younger generation, like, and I, and I say circa 30, right? Under 30, the the willingness to change is there. They don't love change. Let's, let's, let's be real, but willingness to change and understanding like, Hey, if, if I don't like something, I will go shop around and find something new. Like, and it's not, you know, and sometimes we mistake this because we say a younger generation doesn't have loyalty. And I, and I, and I don't like that as a, as a, I, agree. I just, the younger generation has more choices, more information and more access than anyone else has ever had in the history of the world. Right? Like I grew up in Pittsburgh and I remember like, I didn't know anything about outside of Pittsburgh than like Virginia beach where we went on vacation and Pittsburgh. Like, and I have a lot of family members that have never left the state that like never visited any, like, so like the, their exposure to the world was very limited. Like my, right. daughter, my 10 year old has, has done Skype calls with one of my old business partners in Australia. She knows what Vegemite is, knows, you know, she's traveled, <laughs> traveled with me. So I think when we look at this, you know, younger generation, 
they have this access, they have this information. And so one of the things that I look at it from like my relationship uh, with my insurance agents and even as I was migrating was a little bit in the sense of one of the things that I didn't really maybe even recognize or realize in like the bigger scope of it was I don't have to change companies to change my insurance agent. Right. And that was one that to me was a little bit of an interesting um, element in the sense of like where I live right now in Northern Virginia, I'm in a small town about 45 minutes South of, of DC, but like within probably, I mean, 14 miles, there's, seven or eight offices that are for my, you know, my, my carrier. And so for me, one of the things that I was, you know, that I was looking at was, you know, keeping things easy and making things simple for, for me, but also in like the, the bigger picture. And I, one of the things that I've always kind of looked at and done my research on was, Hey, if I'm going to fill out an email contact form and, and I put on there, like my preferred way to get in contact is email and they call me 11 times and leave me voicemails because they want they want to move this forward immediately my first thought is they don't care about me they don't they don't want to communicate the way that i prefer to communicate they want to com- communicate the way that they prefer and i'm always okay with that if because let's face it anyone that's in sales we know like if you're in sales you have to communicate the way your the client is wants to communicate not the way you want to right like you have to make mm-hmm. the ask the, the, as easy as you can but oftentimes we don't look at that data, but I used to make that excuse. And I was like, wait a second, if that person really wants, you know, took, you know, I went through the quote on the website, right? I went through the process. I checked the box. I had the information. If you ask me that question and then you ignore it, why do I think you're going to make other decisions in my benefit as we move forward? Very good point. Like my biggest like pet peeve. And I think advice that we can move is that, you know, if you're asking for data, which is a big one, right? Make sure that a, that you're you're asking for data that you're going to use, you're not wasting people's time but also that you're leveraging that for your benefit, right? Like even something as simple as, hey, you know, sending an email that, you know, that is very, you know, hey, this is such and such personalized email. Hey, I think, you know, to move this forward at a, you know, a rapid pace, let's set up a phone call here sometimes in an email. That works perfectly fine for me, right? Like that's the, that's the idea of like, hey, we, we've, right. we've facilitated this where I want to. And so I think sometimes we've overlooked that. Like, oh, that's the little thing. Like who's going to notice that? But you would be surprised, right? The amount of times those little things kind of add up. You know, and I think that also includes things like, you know, one of my first questions that I asked um, uh, last year as I was changing agents was like, hey, if I'm, you know, ha- have a claim, what, what is the capabilities for me to do all of it on a mobile device? And she was like, why would you want to do all of it on mobile dice? I was like, I travel 45 weeks a year. It's not that I don't have a laptop in front of me, but I'm just going to let you know that if you want something returned fast and you want it to be done in any kind of manner that I feel like, Hey, I can hold my end of the bargain. It's going to be mobile. And of course her initial, Hey, we have this and this. I was like, Oh, well, like, how do you sign something? And she's like, Oh, well, we're still asking people to fax things in. Right. And it's like, you know, like let, let's, let's be real. Like that's, that's one of those things. And I, and I think that's, you know, we have to look at those kind of things as, you know, they might be roadblocks. They might be things that maybe someone doesn't ask initially, but when they're making the decision to re-up or when they're thinking about shift, uh, you know, changing, I will say I did my due diligence on that side, making sure that, because I think that's one thing too, that, you know, although this generation, younger generation is very connected and very hyper aware and they have lots of choices, I think they're also ones that I, like once they understand the process, they're willing to work through that process 100%. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's a, I agree. That's a very nice and familiar thing, but you have to be clear and defined on it. And I even told uh, the lady on the phone there, I was like, honestly, if you would have said no, 
that you mobile is not something that you work at, but you love that I brought that up and that you would look at some of your processes. I was like, that would have won me over better than saying yes. And then eventually having to admit one, you know, characteristic of, is going to be a fax machine because that to me is it, it's, you're trying to say anything to close the deal versus trying to, to understand where I'm coming from. And I think that's, that's, that's something that is a, is a gap today for sure. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. You know, and I like that, Brian. That was that was really good for us insurance agents to hear that. And what you know is another um, thing that relates to that facts that you're talking about is that um, when somebody calls in and they have a change uh, that they need to make, we talk to them, see how things are going. But we we tell them that there's a couple different ways they can do that. We accept that um, through email, and we used to say you can send an email to service at tinsuranca.com, or we can accept it through fax. Literally in the last year, I have had a couple people be like, you still use fax? And so I'm even starting to think like we were offering that because like the banks and, and the mortgage brokers, they still use it, right? But now I'm starting to think to myself, I'm like, man, when we offer that, we sound outdated. You know what I mean? And so it's like totally crazy. We were doing it to help, but now we seem like it's making us seem like we're old fashioned. And the and the the guy that this was about two weeks ago, he said to my staff, he said, are you guys serious? You guys really use facts? And we're like, no, actually we have, we prefer email um, if you're going to send it in, you know? And the guy said, well, how about about text? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that could work because, and we do accept that, wow. but that would be something that we would never offer because it's not something that's used a lot, but we're still using facts because people still use it. And I think that this is one of the big cruxes of what businesses are, are caught in the middle. And I'd love to get your take on this, Brian. And it's the fact that we have to, we have to service the past. We have to service the present who wants a mixture of both. And then we have to service the future of who we're saying, hey, I want to do this. Like you said, if I'm traveling 45 days a week, can't, how am I going to make this claim? Um, is this this isn't just an insurance problem, right? Yeah. I mean, I assume this is many, many verticals many, in the business. Many verticals. You know, uh, IBM's been my client for seven years. Massive. You know, this has been one that we've been un, unpackaging with IBM for many, many years. Uh, the travel space. I've been doing a lot um, in healthcare recently, and I and I and I think that you know, it's it's first of all, I think it's important to admit that's the the current scenario, right? Because let's face it, uh, you know, for the first time in history, this is something to kind of remember is that for the first time in history, we have five generations in the workplace. It's never happened before. Five generations yes. that are yes. active in the workplace. And we somehow all of a sudden believe that one webpage, one marketing collateral, one, you know, one type of doing something will all of a sudden work for these five generations in the workplace. And, and that's just, that's just asinine, right? It's, it's, that's not possible to appease all of that, that entire group. And I think sometimes what we have a tendency to do is, is yes, we we have to you know continue with the legacy um, customers and clients, and yes, we have to focus where we're at now. But I think sometimes we wait too long, 
And then when mm-hmm. we do decide to jump, we move like all in, right? Like, like we are no longer going to do fax or email. We're doing text message only, right? Like, and all of a sudden you pull, it's like polarizing, right? And so yes. one of the things you have to look at is I do think we, we, we have to listen to where the audience is going tomorrow, but we don't always have to jump ship to where they're going tomorrow, right? We have to, we have to set ourselves up, right? So like little things like making sure that the way you're managing your data can be accessed mobile so you can use text message when maybe it becomes more trendy, right? So it's not about all of a sudden offering text message everywhere. It's looking at your processes, your data storage, your data management and saying, are these things set up so that when we do get kind of leaning this direction, we can right. adapt, right? And I think that's that's a big piece of it. And the other thing is, you know, and, and this is a big one too, is that we, you can't please everyone, but I, I do believe you have to kind of identify what the priorities are, what the non-negotiables are. And I, and I think this is the, the part that probably, uh, probably excites me the most. And I think for insurance agencies that are out there that I think this is where you can't go wrong is that it doesn't matter which generation legacy, you know, current or the future generation, um, that you're trying to appease to. There is no question that all of them respond best to human touch and authenticity, right? Like I don't care. They all do. One of those you're you're looking at, and so when you're looking at these different touch points, and and I use this example uh, on a video, and it's for um, the name of the. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about the insurance game, but it's called Big Eye. I'm I'm speaking at the Big Eye. Yeah. Um, Big Eye. So I'm one of their keynotes um, at their uh, event. Sweet. I just did a video for them to uh, put out uh, on a channel soon, and one of the things that I found really really you know interesting, and it was my own experience that I'm now kind of loop, uh, looping into the Zoom world was the, the the insurance agent that I ended up going with. When I walked into their office, I had walked into their office um, and the the you know, talking to the, the secretary at the front desk, the very first thing that happened was she came out of her office, came over and shook my hand. It was pre-COVID, so we didn't have to worry about you know masks and shaking hands. Came right. over and shook my hand, introduced herself, stood there for three or four minutes and you know handed me her card and walked back. And I might be that millennial that loves social media and technology, but I can tell you, as much as I, I was laughing about like someone telling me that, that it didn't work in mobile, I went with them because the other two places I went in person, the the name, the agency's the agent's name on the door never came out, right? And one of them was not on the phone. The door was open. They heard me talking and not didn't come out of the door, right? And so when we look wow. at Zoom, we look at what we're doing in this world we're at now. One of the things that I loved, and I, and I and I was talking to somebody about this, and the 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 agent I was talking to was like, "Let me bring in my employee." Was this is even easier in the Zoom world, right? If you're do, if you're trying to you know uh, you know facilitate a relationship digitally, why not during your thing and say, "Hey, I just you know for real quick for a couple of minutes, I want to bring in uh, via Zoom, you know, uh, just uh, the, our founder of our you know our agent." to just say hello, kind of connect face to face, right? Bringing them in that good idea, even, even if it's as little as, and this is something too, that think about it, right? When we go digital, one of the things that we forget, like for those that aren't watching on video, like I have like my family frozen yogurt sign over my shoulder, right? Like there's, there's nostalgia, there's family that is really important. You know, I, I think that's a, a key piece. And so like, even things like if you're doing, if you're, if you're a current, you know, team is all on video, having things that are, either sentimental or maybe a gift from the agent to your entire team in the video, in the background. And so as you're, someone's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm curious like how this relationship's gonna work. Being able to highlight something that is like tangible that someone can see like, wow, they care about it. Because 
one of the things I think we we lose touch of virtually is that we we all of a sudden are like, oh, we're not in person. So now I'm not going to be able to walk out of my office door and, and greet those people. I'm like, actually, that's a good point, dude. You can actually reach more people now because you can pop in for five minutes, leave. You could you could pop into multiple calls. You can even set up things like one of the things that um, one of the teams that I had good talked idea. to was working on was that they wanted their their um, the 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 head of the entire group to be able to see who was on Zooms or on um, their video collaboration tool. So they could just message and be like, hey, would now be a great time for me to pop in? I mean, think about that from a customer's perspective. If all of a sudden the the, the big wig pops in on a video just to say hello and, and thank you for your business or thank you for inquiring, that that's gonna go leap years in, in building those relationships uh, and that rapport. And so I think that's one of those places that we have to look at is it's not about, you know, using more technology it's about where can technology increase our ability to have more human touch uh increase our ability to you know like right i think i you know and the thing that i like about what you're saying is is because you're giving a lot of good like like real examples of ways that people can actually you know as you're saying actually use what we're trying to what we're trying to get a comp a across and i think that that's powerful because you're giving you're giving examples of things to be honest with you that like I really haven't thought about. I really, really, truly haven't. And this is good stuff because um, this is really good because I haven't really thought about how can we maximize Zoom calls, right? And and you are so right. If I have my producers on, how powerful is it for me to just say, "Hey, I'm Jason Cass, the owner of the agency." I mean, that makes complete sense, dude. That that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So that's some of the stuff that that I assume that you teach because you do just more than just like, like, like than just doing stand up. I'm not stand up than being MC or anything like that. I mean, you're, you're actually teaching classes on how to utilize this, how to make that connection between yeah, just like some of the stuff you did here with the, the zoom doing workshops. Um, I'm doing a lot of coaching. Uh, and then one of the cool things that I've been very blessed with, you know, a lot of the, the, the relationships that I build with the, the, the you know, I speak almost 60 events a year. Uh, a lot of those relationships are multi-year where I'm, and throughout when I'm not on that stage, right, we're doing monthly calls together. I'm doing some consulting. I'm helping build strategy. We're testing out things. Like I said, like, you know, I've worked with, you know, IBM, yeah. Dell, SAP, some really big enterprise tech brands. But then I also work mm -hmm. with a lot of smaller brands and companies. I worked with um, some lenders in the real estate space recently where we our goal was over six months to get uh, 300 of their titling agents to create at least one video on social media every week for six months, like a, wow. a massive feat, but we did it right. We, and, mm -hmm. and so I, and I, I enjoy that piece of it too. Um, but I will say like, I am a love social. I love technology. I'm a business person first. Like I do not believe in any of this stuff. If it's not moving the business needle, that's where like, for me, that's where my advice is not like, Hey, you know, grow a brand, you know, uh, get followers, you know, fluffy, you know, like you need to post, you know, all these pictures on Instagram. For me, it's like, Let's test out where your audience is. Let's figure out how we can move some needles. And that's where I try to give that kind of, you know, that, that advice. And also, I mean, let's face it. I've, from a virtual perspective, this is where I've, uh, I grew my business. It's where I've grown multiple businesses on helping them embrace live video, helping, you know, I've over 3000 live videos. I live, I live streamed for the very first agent, uh, uh, client or very first agency to be approved to live stream the Super Bowl uh, at Super Bowl 50 uh, in San Francisco, right? I've launched like the very first Facebook Live for Dell, the very first um, Instagram Live and very first uh, Facebook Live for 
Oracle and Adobe, some of these like brands. And so what's kind of cool in that all of that is like, I get to help them adapt to change, but also kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work, things like those kind of examples. And I really enjoy, you know, I enjoy the workshop side, um, probably more so than I do um, the, the, even the speaking side, because I mean, I am a computer science major at at my core and I'm a, like part of the reason I love what I do is I, most of the things I do are data backed, goal driven. I can measure direct success. Right. And, And I think that's where, you know, and, you know, and I think in the insurance space too, if you look at it from a, a bigger picture and like where we're moving forward, right? There's definitely this idea where where we're being selective, like you know, hey, we're going to be a nomad, right? We're going to live, you know, the the van life or the RV life, or we have people that you know are willing to move. I'm I'm one that you know I bought the big house and 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 I was like, hey, I want to be able to move and be more nimble. So I I'm a renter now, not a homeowner, um, which you would have never would have never thought that would have been in my case, but just kind of how I'm shaping my life and the things that I want to do. But I also think this is this is the most beautiful time to build the like those initial relationships on trust and like, hey, we're here for you, right? Because we are in this like interest. Like nobody has nobody is in the world, especially right, has has built a business in the post COVID pandemic world, right? We are all gonna shape this together. And those hmm. that are right now standing out, those that are right now going above and beyond, those are, that are doing like even something like you know video emails, right? Like. I, I was pro video email a long time ago, but then I was like, people are using it wrong. And like, honestly, a lot of times when someone sends me a video email and all it is, is like, thanks for your business. I'm like, you could have wrote that. Like, you didn't have to like make me stop, put out my headphones. But I've found like now, like, I mean, I got a, I got a video email from, you know, I've been doing a lot of software testing on the virtual side and I've, I was just inundated with all these sales messages and I got this video email and the guy's literally holding up a, a, a Baltimore Ravens sign in the, like in the thumbnail and I, I was like, oh, because I, I, I'm a Steeler fan. And I clicked on it, and it was as cool and laid back of a, hey, I went to your website. I saw that you're a Steelers fan. I had to show you I'm a Ravens fan, but like, let's not hold that against each other. This is the tool. This, and I tell you what, I immediately replied within seconds. and was like, hey, let's set up a demo. Let's move it forward. And I got done, and I was like, man, that video email. Like, I mean, if I looked, it was like 44 emails. There was only one I replied immediately, right? And it was the one right. where the person did a little bit more, right? He went to my website, saw that it was black and yellow. And you know, like, and, and I think that's something, if we look at technology and virtual and we're all working from home, we're all working remote. Yes, we, we have a little bit more time in some cases. In other cases, we're working more hours than we ever have. I mean, let's be real. Like that's a that's a that's you know, an unnecessary uh, side of this. But I think when we start, like look at those little moments, if you take that extra second to make that email a little bit more personalized. The extra second, even when you call somebody, like, I mean, one of the things you might have their social accounts, right? Like I want, this is a, this is something that I absolutely love is that, you know, for some of the customer service, um, I worked in the travel space a lot, right? And they're following up. And I would say like, hey, you have their social channels, like go to Twitter and see what the last tweet they sent. And if you can somehow, if it's, you know, if it's a, some political random rant, like ignore it, right? But if someone just tweeted and it's like, Oh, I've, I just got off the, the most glorious vacation I've had. Excited to get back to work. When you get on that phone call, I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, I just checked on Twitter and you just got back from vacation. Where'd you go? Game changer, right? And like yep. the information's there, the access is there. It doesn't take much work. I mean, it's very little work, but it will go leap years. And that's where really I focus on that synergy. It's it's not about all of a sudden like using artificial intelligence and sending all of these things. It's more of like, hey, how can I use what I have at my disposal to be a little bit more human, a little bit more showing that yeah. I care about them. And I think that's, that's where, you know, I think we're going to see a, a big difference in this time. 
Yeah, that's really good, Brian. That's really good. Um, Something for in the insurance industry, and you loyal listeners out there know it, especially if you do commercial insurance, there's always two people you're selling. There's always the 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 first person that you're trying to let them know that they're that hey you're you're part of my niche you're part of my target audience they're getting that in the message whatever it could be, but after we get the client who says yes I'll give you the opportunity or yes I'm willing to do that we now have to go sell the company, right we have to sell the company as this is why this is a good risk and things like that. One of the things that I'm able to do, and I think that I'm very, I excel at getting the underwriter to um, understand our account is because of what you just said. So customers that are new customers, if they've been long-term, I can find some things that are relevant. But some of my uh, my my underwriters with my insurance companies, I have the best relationships with because I know on Friday that Dana loves to go drink margaritas at her Zapata's Mexican restaurant. And when I call her on Friday, I'm like, man, it's Friday. It's going to be that day, right? I know that some of them are real big into yoga. I know one of them is running on the is practicing for the Ironman. This guy's such a trooper that they canceled the Ironman because of COVID. And he said this was the only year I wanted to run the Ironman. It's a it's a, something I wanted to do before I got to be 32. I'm 32. So the guy's putting together his own Ironman just by himself. Wow. So he's got his parents who are going to meet him every 10 minutes on the bicycle to give him a drink. He's got a buddy who's going to kayak next to him, right? And so knowing that stuff, it's I have a relationship with those underwriters that's probably better than some of their friends, and they don't they've never met me face to face. You know, um, I get underwriters who come to my office and say, "Man, we've been business for three years, and I specifically said I wanted to stop by your office." It's not because I'm a great insurance agent, not because we give them better business than anybody. It's because we have that personal relationship. It's that little thing about Dana, Dana knowing about those margaritas that, man, I've written a lot of business off of that, you know? And, um, and, and, I, so- and I wanted to jump on that real quick because one of the things I think some people might be listening to this and being like, oh, that's why I wish we had conferences. That's why I wish we could go meet up at networking at the bar. Here's the interesting thing. All of your competition is saying that. But for us right now, it's be like, I know that she likes margaritas. I used to like that once a month I could see her out of the bar. Why don't I send her a gift basket with margarita mix in it and, and just show her that little bit, right? That's right. Or even something, right. one, one of the clients that I worked at, they just did it last week and I got to jump in on it. Like they, you said margaritas, it kind of worked out perfectly is they ended up sending a, a Patron kit to their their partners, their, their approved partners. And then they contacted Patron and got a Patron bartender to do a, an evening Zoom bartending lesson. Everyone jumped in with their with their Patron kits and got to listen to like this, you know, in this in this Patron wow. setup. And I can tell you, like the partners on that call were like, "This is better than any event we've ever been to. This is better than any gift you've ever sent us." Because not only do they, they send something in the mail, but they, they took it a little bit step further. And the cool part was the Patron bartender was on for like thirty minutes. They were on for over 90 minutes. For an hour, he got access to his six partner leads for you know one you know one wow. on six, I guess, on the on the Zoom call. And like to me, when he got off, and it was it was partially my idea. It was like when we were brainstorming, he his immediately message was like, first of all, I might have had too many margaritas uh, while we were <laughs> on there. And he's like, second of all, I just I just scaled these relationships two years faster than I would have if I would have sat back and said. I can't take them out. I don't, I'm not going to see them at this upcoming event. And so that's where I love what you said that. And I think right now everyone's going to take a step back and be like, Oh, it sucks. We can't do that. It's now is a great opportunity to do that little thing to like, to amplify that. And I think it could be a game changer. 
I do do as well. So, uh, Brian, not knowing you very well, I'm going to ask you a question. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. We want to close this up. But leaders are readers, and readers are leaders. And you seem like a leader, so you must be a reader. What are you reading? Ooh, so this is a good one. And I said earlier, this is like this is my tease and my callback. Uh, I said earlier, I struggled through school, and I'm big on authenticity and transparency. So, uh, at 31, I was diagnosed ADHD, and so uh, I've been medicated for the last eight years uh, for ADHD. It was come to find out I was kind of identified ADHD at 11 years old. The stigma at the time was, you know, you're ADHD, mm -hmm. your parents are bad, you have a bad parents or, or you know, medication's not bad. Um, and so interestingly, I, uh, in the last eight years, I've read more books than the first 31 years of my life. Uh, thanks to being medicated and kind of, uh, and kind of figuring um, that out. And I will give, um, I get, I get lots, I'm in marketing. So lots of my friends write books, lots of my speaker friends write books. I, I promote, I'll share a picture and post them up there um, when I do, like, you know, kind of talking about it. But there's very few books that I'm like, I keep on my desk and that are uh, game changer. And this is the pre-release. It actually doesn't come out to next month. But the book I'm reading right now is called Black Sheep. And it's uh, Unleashing the Extraordinary, Awe-Inspiring, Undiscovered You. And it's understanding your black sheep values. It actually helps you prioritize and understand what's important to you in your life. And then understanding, like, even has... So ability to, to, to identify them, to test out the things, and then helps you kind of work out where to prioritize your time, even helps you kind of understand based on the things that are important to you, who to weed out from your life, who to, mm -hmm. to set things up. So it's called uh, Black Sheep uh, from my friend, uh, Brant Menzoir. So that's uh, that's one that I, I, I mean, I, I, I got it. I started reading it and I was like, wait a second. I literally stopped what I was doing and plowed through the book. Uh, definitely a good one uh, for anyone that's trying to, you know, level up themselves, growth hack what they're doing. And I also think just kind of, you know, I think probably one of the most important aspects right now um, is self-awareness, like knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at, knowing how to surround yourself with people that are good at what you aren't. And, uh, mm -hmm. and this book is, uh, is one for me that I really enjoy. I think the thing that makes people like you makes people like me and other people successful. People tell me what you just told me. I'm very transparent. I don't really try to. I'm very raw. It's who I am. Um, and so we try to I try to be like that. And I think that's uh, in this day and age when we can tell each other everything, you would think that that we would be more transparent in some ways we are. But sometimes because we realize we're so far out there, we become more reclusive because we feel as if people might know. So good for you on that. Hey, I want to um, uh, last thing you want to say to before we wrap this up. Anything, Brian? No, I think you're right. I think and right now customers, the are demanding transparency, right? Transparency was a nice to have for a long time. Uh, and right now we, we tend to be transparent after we screw up, right? Like, oh my goodness, let me explain to you everything that we, why we did this wrong. And this is all the things we have. And I think transparency for it is important. Um, mm -hmm. And it'd be like, for me, like my mantra and like my big thing is press the damn button, right? That's the the podcast that I host. Um, it's the the book that I've been writing for a couple of years now and uh, excited to get out there soon. But the reason press the damn button is so important is that like, this is my my call to action, I guess, to everyone that's listening. I talk fast. I'm very passionate about all this, right? But mm -hmm. if you do anything, like take one thing that you wrote down or that you listened and turn it into action because anyone can listen, anyone can read. A whole bunch of people are going to take notes very few people are taking action right now, right? Very few people are going to go, hey, I'm going to take this and implement it, right? We're going we're gonna to go back. It's going to be in a notebook. We're going to make excuses why we're not going to do things. So I guess, you know, for me, the, the challenge, I, you know, I, I'm a big believer that together we can uh, make the world a better place by each one of us doing our, our part. And so I, I challenge listeners, you know, pick one thing either that you learned or that you thought of that maybe you spot, you know, hey, I didn't realize that we could do that and just implement on it, right? Even if it doesn't work. Right. At least you now know that, hey, that's something I did. And so um, that's my call to action for that. And, hey, I appreciate you having me on. This was, uh, 
a heck of a lot of fun. I know I had a, I had a bump it, uh, yesterday. My power was out in my house, uh, yeah. which was, you know, it's always, it's always something in the, the virtual world, especially like I've been working from home for a long time and I feel like, uh, lately I've had more random occurrences like that, but, uh, yeah, this was a, this was a heck of a lot of fun and, uh, thanks for having me on. No problem, Brian. Hey, guys, I, will, I hope you guys like what I did here and, and by bringing him on and giving you a little bit different flavor. And one of the things I want to wrap up with is something he said at the end with transparency. You know, I am uh, one of the podcasts you guys listen to, How to Influence People with Brian Ahern. He talked in there about a couple things. And one of the things that he talked about was how you should deliver things and how you deliver. So, for instance, um, he would say that if you are trying to influence somebody and you're going to give them options. You always want to give them the first option to be the option that you don't necessarily want them to choose. They're usually going to take the last one because they remember the last thing they heard. I want you to just jump back for five sec, five minutes and listen to the conversation that Brian and I had about transparency because this is something I just thought about. It's important today that we talk about the elephant in the room first. Yesterday, I was, I was proposing with this account. It's a 300 and some thousand dollar account and we didn't have the flood policies done. And we didn't have the flood policies done because it's through the National Flood Insurance Program. You guys as agents out there, you're familiar with this and very, very difficult to deal with as opposed to dealing with an insurance company. And when I was talking with my team about how we were gonna deliver this, everybody said we should talk about the flood last because of all the good stuff that we had. Let's talk about the flood last. And I stopped and I remembered and I thought, no, you know what? That's how we're going to start the conversation. We're going to start with, we've done everything we said we would. We're happy about it and excited. We want to, before we get into the full presentation of everything, we want to tell you about the one area that we're still working on and we'll have solved in the next couple of days. We went through that and boom, got into the proposal. And it was so funny that at the end, the customer actually forgot that we were quoting the flood because it was such a non-issue to them. As opposed to doing everything all beautiful up front and then saying, and oh, by the way, this is the one area where we didn't do good. That's what they remember, loyal listeners. That's what they remember. And so putting this all together, it is so true. Transparency is important. I love what you're saying. It's not today. It's, oh, yeah, let me tell you why I did that. No, let's talk about that first and then let's move on. Brian, thank you very much for being a part of this, man. Appreciate it much. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Someone wants to reach out to you. They can find you on Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. Everywhere. So I'm iSocialFans on uh, on every single channel, uh, iSocialFans. Uh, and then uh, BrianFanzo.com is the website. So BrianFanzo.com and uh, iSocialFans on every social network. Pick your favorite one. I, I can guarantee I'm active. All right. Loyal listeners, I do appreciate you. I do appreciate you. And you know that I do what I do for you. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas. And I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast. We are out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com, check out what we do, because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? 
and you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.